Before I start, I must tell a quick story. As Emily said, we used to work together, um, Martin and Bob was at, at um, the other church as well with us. And once I was having such a difficult time, and uh, Emily's the realist. Martin is too, but Emily is the realist, because I must quickly tell you, you guys, some of you will know what I mean. Um, when I say the realist, I just mean she's super strong and supportive and awesome. Because once, I'm, unfortunately at that particular time in life, my mother had not long passed, and I was going through a super difficult time. And I was in the car park, and Emily, I bumped into Emily. And Emily said, oh, Claude, I heard about, you know, I'm terribly sorry. And you know, like, I'm, I'm a hard guy, I can be hard, but life's hard for me. And uh, I was thinking, please, not now, Emily. And uh, she said, how are you doing? Are you all right? And I said, no, I'm not all right, Emily. And I started, get, I got upset and I started crying. And as big as I am, Emily's saying, Claude, it's, it's going to be all right, Claude, it's good. And I thought, what a beautiful quality to have, to see no indifference to just have a heart to care for somebody else that was hurting at that moment in time. So I'll always remember that about Emily, and, and it's been a pleasure to work with Martin also. Um, as they said, um, <laughs> I've got too many stories to tell about Martin. He's, I tell you, goodness. Um, as they said, I've been ordained, um, and, and I've got my license, and I'm priested, and, and I'm acting vicar in the Church of England, so... Um, I just like to put that out there as a disclaimer because I often get asked exactly what I do at church. Uh, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I was on the door and as people was arriving, I was welcoming them into church and a lady walked up the path and I said, hi, how are you? And she said, who are you? The security. <laughs> and I have no idea what would make her think that I'm a bouncer, but I'm indeed a vicar. And... Uh, um, as Emily said, we met over in Kensington, and that's where I'm still located now, but I wasn't always as familiar with the beautiful surroundings of Kensington as I am today. Um, I grew up, I'm one of six, and uh, we grew up south of the river in a small village known as Tooting. And... Uh, <laughs> Yes, the tooting crowd is strong over here. I get a good response here. It's going to be difficult for me to go back to Kensington. However, um, I'm, a, I'm from a multicultural background, so that means my dad was from Jamaica. Unfortunately, he's passed, he's passed on now too. And my mum was from Campbellwell Green. And like I said, I'm the youngest of six children. And... We're from a very working class background, so poverty was evident in my household growing up. And I can remember on one particular occasion when I was younger, I saw my mother placing cardboard into her shoes. And I inquisitively asked why she was doing that. And she gently replied with her smile on her face to stop my feet from getting wet when I walked, simultaneously pointing to the holes in the bottom of her shoes. And I think it's fair to say, if I'm honest, that I've always struggled with life. And I've often questioned it. But I found my earlier years particularly difficult, to say the least. You see, home wasn't a safe place. As a matter of fact, it was far from what I'd call a home. My father was a very aggressive man. 
And I would often sadly witness my mother or my siblings or both falling victim to domestic violence. At one stage, there were seven of us living in a small two-bedroom house and due to a lack of space, my brothers would sleep on the front room floor and I slept under the stairs. I was still in my infancy when I stopped applying myself to academia. I was struggling to manage my mental health and I felt unsupported. Nobody took the time to explain things to me in a way of which I could understand. I quickly grew frustrated and became disruptive to hide my embarrassment. My eldest brother had not long moved out and was living with our nan in another village just down the river called Brixton. But oh, it's not as many Brixton heads in here. It's tooting. Okay, it's tooting tonight. Um, my brother was living with our nan in Brixton. Brixton? Yay! You're trying to. That's fine, you're civil from Brixton. That's what I'm from, I'm from Brixton. Right. Uh, but my brother moved in with my nan in Brixton and would often return to the family home to visit. And by now, he had unfortunately developed a thirst for crime. And while he visited, he would often tell us stories of crime and violence that he had done and crimes he'd committed and how much money was involved. And it all sounded very tempting and, and luxurious. And I remember on one occasion, particularly when I was about six or seven years old at the time, not long after my eldest brother arrived, he and my other siblings, I've got four older brothers, my other siblings all sheepishly scurried off into the back room of the house. And I inquisitively followed. And as I entered the bedroom, I saw my brothers all huddled around in a group. And I forced myself into the circle to my surprise, only to discover that my brothers were handing around what appeared to be a black handgun. Each of them slowly took turns and their face lit up with excitement as they examined the gun. And I also wanted to take a closer look and began to protest for my turn. Eventually, someone handed me the gun and I remember being instantly struck by the weight of, of the machine. And as I held the cold black steel in my hands, it was difficult to imagine that the gun had been made for anything other than just destruction. By the time I was a teen, my school attendance had dropped dramatically. And on occasion when I attended school, I was made to sit at a single desk in a corridor on my own. I felt isolated and ashamed. I failed my exams and ended up leaving school with nothing other than a whole load of resentment. I had no qualifications and felt an absolute failure, which only added to the anger and bitterness that I'd been harboring from a domestically abusive childhood. Having left school without any qualifications meant that college wasn't an option for me. And I didn't even know what university was. My peer group had started to distance themselves from me and I couldn't blame them. By the time I was 16, I was a full-time cannabis dealer. By the time I was 19, 
I was dealing cocaine and by 25 there wasn't a drug or a firearm that I didn't have access to. The truth is, in my world, it was easier to get a gun than it was a degree. One day I heard a man give a short talk. He took his backpack off calmly and cleared his throat before introducing himself. He was such a humble man, I imagined what his life was like in comparison to that of my own. We appeared to be worlds apart. I watched on as he reached down into the pocket of his clean but slightly faded trousers and produced a small box. As the quiet, gentle man slowly took the lid off of the box, the room was silent and he raised the box up lifted the lid off and produced a small crucifix. He thrusted it high into the air and he said, I'm a Christian and Jesus changed my life. And I was instantly struck by how this quiet, humble little man had the courage to speak so boldly of how Jesus had changed his life. You see, he had nothing that I had, but everything that I wanted. I had spent my whole life searching for the affirmation that that quiet gentleman spoke with. I knew nothing about Christianity, but decided to put my reservations aside and inquired as to how I could find out more. After a short discussion with the Christian, I curiously enrolled on an Alpha course. The course started the following evening and two weeks later, I dared Jesus into my life, literally. We had the opportunity to invite Jesus into our lives and as I closed my eyes in the silence of my heart, I said, Jesus, if you can do what these people say you can do, then I dare you, I dare you to come into my life and make a change. And by the end of that Alpha course, my 17-year career in crime had come to an end and I'd completely stopped drug dealing. But things aren't always that easy. And a couple of months later, I got baptised and got a part-time job working as a barista. I remember my first day going into my new job, proudly putting on my apron to start my shift, and my manager handing me a pair of rubber marigolds. After she handed me the gloves, she suggested that I go down to the end of the shop and clean out the toilets. She then added that that's how I'd be starting my shift every morning. I was to clean out the toilets from whatever was left from the night before. And that's exactly what I did. And that's fine, cleaning toilets is fine. I did that for the following few months and there's nothing wrong with that. That's what I did, I got to work every morning, I put my apron on, I got my marigolds out and I cleaned the toilets. And that was the plan for me. That was her plan for me but it wasn't God's plan for me. You see, God has bigger plans for us than we have for ourselves. 
There was a chap in the Bible called Simon. Simon thought that he'd never do anything more than catch fish. Yet when he and three other fishermen responded to the call of Jesus Christ, their lives changed forever. They went on to become, I guess, household names. I'd probably say they're the most famous fishermen in the world because of their obedience to follow Jesus Christ. Their lives have impacted our lives forever and many others also. Weeks later, I got another job in a supermarket as I struggled to make ends meet. So I was working the two part-time jobs. And a few years later, I began working at a homeless shelter, which was hosted by the church in which we were serving at. And it was while I was working at the homeless shelter that I felt convicted to pursue God in all areas of my life, including academically. But I wasn't qualified to study, let alone consider becoming a priest. The decision that I had made to withdraw from academia so many years earlier as a child had completely shaped the direction of my life as an adult. But God doesn't call those who are qualified. He qualifies those who are called. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5 says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I reserved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of what the Spirit's power can do so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And I know the baggage of our past can often feel like a burden. It can often feel like we are a prisoner to the pain and disappointment and hurt that we've experienced, but it doesn't have to be that way. We do not have to live that lie of our past. John chapter 8 verses 32 says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I don't know what it might be that you're carrying today. I don't know what baggage it might be that you're holding on to. But truthfully speaking, a lot of the baggage that I've collected over the years has been related to failure. You see, I've failed more times than I care to remember. I've lost count of the amount of times that I've had to pick up the pieces and start again. Honestly, as I stand here before you today, I've had a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, a plan E. I've lost count of the plans. But as a result, I've learned that failure can be our best friend or our worst enemy. Your baggage can be a burden or it can be a blessing. You see, what the enemy means for evil, God will use it for our good. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it 
for good, to accomplish what is being done now, the saving of many souls. That's why baptism is so important, you see. Like Martin explained, it's an outwardly declaration of an inwardly commitment. It's the saving of our souls when we follow Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And as I said earlier, I left school without any qualifications and having done so, I quickly found myself in controversial circumstances resulting in my failure to make the best choices based on my current situation. And I found myself at a very challenging stage of my life. I literally failed at everything that I had put my hand to and it was a very difficult season for me. It was around about that time that I was telling you about earlier. And I began to actually feel like a failure. I began to actually question my existence as a human being. Was I born to fail? And then I read a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. who said, the ultimate measure of a person is not where they stand in moments of comfort or convenience, but where they stand in times of challenge and controversy. And it was in those challenging times of controversy that reality hit home for me. And it's at that point that I believe something happens. It's at that controversial time that we reach the point of resistance that I believe breakthrough comes. There's some sort of shift that takes place and facing our fears can be a frightening experience, but that's where we discover the true power of God. It can be a painful process. It's not easy. And it's filled sometimes with nothing but disappointment and sadness especially when you've worked your hardest, tried your best, put every effort in and yet still only failed. You lose your parents in the process. You sell drugs to your brother and he overdoses and has a stint put in his heart. It's really hard to keep going. And you've tried your best. But you see, just because we fail it doesn't mean that we are failures. Just because we lose, it doesn't mean that we are losers. Without test, there is no testimony. Without the mess, there is no message. My fiance and I watched a movie called Air. I don't know if anybody's seen it. I'm still, I'm not sure if it's called Air. I was saying that earlier. I think it's called Air. It's about Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time. And uh, the movie is what you imagine it to be. The guy's so great, they make trainers about him. Nike Air Jordans. I'm still waiting for the Nike Air Claudes, but <laughs> it's going to be a long wait. But what they don't tell you is, Michael Jordan missed 9,000 shots and lost 300 games throughout his basketball career. And just imagine 267 of those games, he was past the final pass of the game. And he took the final winning shot. And he missed it. 
267 times out of 300 games, Michael Jordan missed the winning shot. I can assure you, when he went back to the locker room, his teammates did not say to him, you are the greatest player of all time. His coach probably wasn't very impressed, but Michael Jordan didn't let that stop him. He recognised that he had a choice. He could be the victim or the victor. He could take responsibility, which he did. He faced his fears and went on to become truly the greatest basketball player of all time. You see, the challenge is not to see ourselves as the victims, but instead to see ourselves as the victors. We have royal blood running through our veins. Jesus gave his life for mine. Jesus gave his life for yours. And instead of saying what we can't do, why don't we start saying what God can? We are children of the King. He made us because he loves us, and he loves us because he made us, and God doesn't make mistakes, nor does he set us up to fail. You see, that's the eternal message. Nothing that we do, nothing that I do, nothing that you do can separate us from the love of God. We are forever in his favour. The Lord is good and his love endures forever. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 says, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. My power is perfected in weakness. God will turn our baggage into our blessings. Just have to believe it. God will turn our baggage into our blessings. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 4. Verses 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. This isn't a motivational talk. This is what the Bible says. I'm coming into land. But we must remember that we do not have to live our lives in the sin of our past. We're not guilty of our failures. We're just humans that make mistakes. Jesus died an undeserving death, so we may live an undeserving life. God doesn't call those who are qualified. He qualifies those who are called. He's done it time and time again throughout the Bible. For example, Noah enjoyed drinking, and God used him to build the ark, which more or less saved the world. Abraham and Sarah thought they were pretty much too old to do anything and God used them to build a nation. Joseph was an overconfident teen who God trained to save both Egypt and Israel. Moses was a stutterer who could barely speak and became God's spokesman. Rahab was a prostitute who God used to overtake Jericho. Jonah was a runaway who ran away and God brought back to save Nineveh. Esther was an orphan who was adopted and became queen to save Israel. Peter was in denial. He literally denied Jesus and God used him to build the church. And Paul wasn't even Paul. He was Saul. And Saul had a super chip on his shoulder. And God used him to become one of the most 
prolific Christians in the New Testament, the next thing you'll know, you'll have an uneducated, ex-drug-dealing priest standing on stage at your local church giving you a theological summary as to how God turns our burdens into our blessings. So finally, I would just like to remind you and end on this. The next time you hit rock bottom, remember that rock is a great foundation on which to build. And Jesus is the cornerstone. And the most impressive buildings in the world are built on rock. We need not live in the burden of our baggage because we are forgiven. Jesus died on the cross and can use all things for the good of those who believe and accord according to his purpose. I'd like to end with Romans chapter 5, verse 5, which says, Therefore, we have been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen.